The Gospels record several occasions when Jesus performed a healing on the Sabbath day. In most of those instances, <coughs> the healing was followed by a confrontation with the religious leaders of the time. Now, I have been allocated Mark chapter 3, the first six verses, as my sermon for today. It is all about a man with a shriveled hand, or a withered hand if you prefer, who was healed by Jesus on the Jewish Sabbath. Luke, the doctor, records that it was his right hand. So, if he was in the majority of the population, this would have been a major handicap for him. Have you ever seen someone with a withered or shriveled hand? At our primary school in the late 50s, a few of the students had polio, which mainly seemed to attack the legs and shrivel the legs and deform them. Sue and I visited a leper colony in India <coughs> where various lepers had deformed arms and legs. Let's read that passage in Mark now. Changed. Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. <coughs> Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out <coughs> and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Try to imagine, try to imagine the scene in that synagogue. The man with a shriveled hand, really hoping that he might be healed, and the majority of the crowd, really hoping for a miracle. Yet some of them, a group of Pharisees, and I imagine they were standing at the back of the crowd looking for a reason to, to trick Jesus, to catch Jesus. And they, they were watching him closely, trying to find something that he would do which was wrong. To be more specific, they were looking for something which they could deem as unlawful. Did you notice that Jesus became angry and was distressed at their stubborn hearts? We need to look at this word unlawful more carefully. 
And we also need to get a better picture of the Sabbath. Let's start with the Sabbath. What is this thing called the Sabbath? Sabbath, Shabbat, Shabbat, whatever you want to call it, depending upon which language you're speaking. Who came up with the idea of Sabbath anyway? Well, the answer is God did. Genesis records that God created the world in six days and on the seventh he rested. Genesis chapter 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating all that he had done. So let me ask you a question. Did our all-powerful God, our omnipotent God, our omnipotent God need to rest? I don't think so. So presumably he did this as an example for us. We need to rest. God does not want us to be workaholics. God reinforced the Sabbath back in the time of Moses by including it in the Ten Commandments for his people. Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So what does holy, which in the New Testament Greek is hagios, what does it mean? It means different. It means different in a godly way. Which is how we are called to be as Christians. And that's just what the Israelites did. The Jews of Judah did after them. They kept the seventh day, Saturday. Holy. They stopped their weekday work. They took a break. They rested and went to the temple or the synagogue to worship. Modern Jews do this today. They rest up on the Saturday, go to the synagogue if there is one, and it takes 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. And they worship God. I suspect that the idea of the Jewish Sabbath was a forerunner of the weekend that we have in our society today. A time to stop work, relax with family and do something differently. Unfortunately, the idea of worshipping God on the weekend has fallen off the agenda for most. Some worshippers, some groups of worshippers, still keep the Saturday Sabbath. They're called Sabbatarians, and the biggest group being the Seventh-day Adventists. 
Other groups of worshippers have converted the first day of the week, Sunday, into a Sabbath, a rest day, when no work should be done. I remember as a young university student in Cape Town, coming down from the mountains on a Sunday, dirty, sweaty, with climbing ropes over our shoulders, pitons and carabiners clanging on our belts, and walking past groups of Dutch Reform Afrikaners, dressed in their best clothes, sitting at coffee shops. We were regarded with disgust and disdain as we irreverently profaned the Sabbath. Perhaps today, as a Christian, I would not have felt the foolish, rebellious, youthful glee in stirring them up. That brings us to the question of how we need to regard the Sabbath today, which in turn brings us to look at the word unlawful. When Jesus healed the man with the withered hand, the Pharisees thought they were trying to trap him into doing something that was unlawful. And Jesus asked them the question, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? In the passage immediately preceding this one in Mark 3, Scripture records the disciples walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath and picking heads of grain to eat because they were hungry. And the Pharisees jumped on that. They asked Jesus, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Mark chapter 2 verse 24. So the question arising here is, whose law? Was it God's law? It was not God's law. It was a law manufactured by the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, had added to God's law and they kept on adding laws as they saw fit. Jesus, in performing a healing on the Sabbath, was not breaking any law given by God. He was breaking the pharisaical interpretation of the law invented by that Jewish church government. And you notice I call it government. Some of the supposed laws they invented were quite ridiculous. Restrictions concerning work on the Sabbath included No writing, no cooking, no kindling a fire, no laundry, no carrying anything more than six feet in a public area. No moving anything with your hand, although you could move something with your elbow or your breath. The list goes on. Can you imagine the complexities of micromanaging the plethora of these laws compared to the simply stated law of God? Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Have you noticed that thou shalt not features so much more than thou shalt 
with the Pharisees. Jesus reserved, reserves some of his harshest criticisms for the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23 records some of Jesus' words. Listen to what he says. They do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. You may remember a phylactery is a is a little box thing full of scriptures and stuff which they used to tie to their belts or their foreheads and still do in modern Jerusalem. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. Jesus rebukes the teachers of the law for teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Mark 7, 7. And this seems to me just what the Jewish government of the time was doing. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mark 2.27 The Sabbath was a gift from God to man, devised to help him in his busy life. Confronted with Jesus' undeniable power to heal and restore, as happened for the man with the withered hand, we might think that the Pharisees might have just considered that they were wrong. But they didn't. Instead, they dug their heels in and doubled down on the, their untenable position. They were stubborn. And so a question for us to ponder. Why were the Pharisees like that? What made them that way in mass? Or the Nazis before them? Why did they do that? What makes them like that? Doesn't it make you shudder in fear watching? There are not many modern world governments who like to feel they are backed by God, as the Pharisees obviously did. The Vatican is perhaps the obvious example. Don't eat meat on Friday, only eat fish, say X number of Hail Marys per day. Those are examples of added rules. And the people follow. Our fish and chip shop owners rejoice on Friday. Have you noticed how the Taliban leaders currently taking over Afghanistan often credit their victories to their god Allah 
They want to impose Sharia law in the country. Their vision is Sharia law all over the world. And the Afghan people fear them. Creating fear is a powerful weapon. Now, this sermon has been about Jesus healing a man with a withered hand and receiving criticism from some Pharisees for breaking a law that they have devised. I cannot in all honesty give a sermon like this without challenging myself with the question, am I becoming a bit like a Pharisee? Am I, Martin Wollstenholm, pharisaical? Have I distilled my Christian walk into a set of rules or laws to be followed? Laws with boundaries that should not be broken. Do I have a tendency to try and bind those laws on others? I am, by nature, quite a conservative person. A conservative person tends to examine an issue, make a decision on the correct course to follow, and then make a set of laws or rules to ensure that the course is followed. Sticking to a set of rules is a comfortable philosophy, but it does limit personal growth. If I am becoming pharisaical, I need to change. I need to repent. How can I change? I like Steve Wilson's suggestion, and he gave it in our study of the book of Romans a few weeks ago. In fact, quite recently. His suggestion was to change the four-letter word laws, L-A-W-S, to the four-letter word love, L-O-V-E, agape love in the New Testament Greek. Now, I know, Steve, you didn't put it exactly like that, but that's the way I received it. God gave us laws and commandments out of his love and concern for us. He is displaying his agape love for us. Agape love is a doing something for others love. A doing something for others love. Doing. Changing to a focus on the needs of others is the key. Isn't that the way you felt when you first became a Christian? Return to your first love. Do the things you did at first. Seeing the needs of the other person and then trying to act upon it. Be the good Samaritan who feels the other's pain, who empathizes and then does something to help. Stop to help the girl on the side of the road to change her wheel even if it makes you late for church. Find some way to help Keegan's pain. There must be some way, there must be something. Act, act. It is quite easy to look good on the outside. Whitewash is a good quick fix. 
fresh whitewash sparkles and looks great. And Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, sparkling on the outside, but full of dead men's bones inside. One of the preachers we support in Zimbabwe works in a remote rural area. The local government politicians in that area received copious praise and adulation for donating 10 litres of whitewash paint for the school building. I'm sure it looked good on the outside. Jesus left an example that we should follow in his steps. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Be like Jesus. Be an agape person. Jesus spent his whole life converting, his whole life helping others. He converted the withered hand from useless to useful. That's practical help. God so loved the world that he gave his son to help us. God even gave the Sabbath for our benefit. He wants the best for us. He loves us. I must try to be like him. Loving and doing things for others in a practical way. James, the brother of Jesus, says, We are now under the perfect law of liberty. We have been freed by the blood of Jesus. Free to serve. Free to serve others. So I leave you with some challenging questions put together by a man called Frank Powell. He poses them, challenging us to examine ourselves as to whether we are perhaps becoming a modern-day Pharisee. There are 12 questions. Number one, do you believe showing up for worship every Sunday makes you right with God? Number two, do you spend more time talking about what you are against rather than what you are four. Number three, do you believe God actually needs you? Number four, do you believe you don't really have any serious sins of which to repent? Number five, do you try to make every issue black and white? Number six, do you never condone homosexuality or fornication, yet have no problem watching movies that do? Number seven, do you believe that your salvation is based on your works, not on Jesus? Number eight. Do you read the Bible to substantiate your convictions rather than to be shaped into God's image? Number nine, do you believe 
that outsiders should conform to a certain lifestyle before they can become Christians. Number 10. Do you know the difference between a convert and a transfer from another congregation? Number 11. Do you expect all your Christian friends to look and act just like you? Number 12. Do you get angry, offended or defensive when someone tries to rebuke you? So this morning we have listened to a story of Jesus in a synagogue healing a man with a withered hand. We have felt the love of Jesus as he did something really good on the Sabbath. We have noted the attitude of some Pharisees to the event. And we have tried to examine ourselves, asking whether our attitudes are sometimes similar to those of the Pharisees. The lesson is yours. 